All right, I want to continue this series from the rubble. Uh, if the enemy can get us off track, he can train wreck our lives. And a lot of times when we get off track and there's a train wreck in our lives, there's nothing left but a bunch of rubble. However, God can take your life from the rubble and he can bring something incredible from that. So that's the idea of this series. Lord, bless us as we minister today. Touch the lives of people. And we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, look at your neighbor and say, you better fight for it. That's what we're talking about today. We're talking about fighting for what's left. Fighting for the rubble. The last few weeks we've been talking about how Nehemiah was commissioned by God. If you don't know this story, I'm not going to go back and tell the whole story. Read the book of Ezra and read the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament of your Bible. But uh, Nehemiah was commissioned by the king or the emperor of Persia to go and build this wall for Jerusalem. So Jerusalem, the people of God, would have their sense of community and have this city again. And when he went back, he assessed it and he, uh, he was very upset because the walls, after eight years of the exiles going home, the, the walls had not been built back. So the Bible says that he sat down and he wept. But we also see that he moved on from weeping, moved on from the brokenness to assessing the rubble, assessing the brokenness, because how many of you know there comes a time to move on from what's been ruined and from the rubble, right? There comes a time when you need to move on. So that's what was going on in his life. He, he moves on and he assesses it. But if you think about it, Another thing that he does is he brings people together to work on the rubble. And as I began to read about that and review that this past week, I thought that is kind of like what church is, people together working on their rubble. You see what I'm saying? That's, that's the beauty of a church. Well, today, as I said before, I want to talk to you about the importance <clears throat> of fighting for what is left, even if it is rubble. In Nehemiah, the fourth chapter in the sixth verse, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. It says, so we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. And when Sanballat, remember these were guys that were regional, were kings or, or governors from other places. When these guys and the Arabs of the, the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were, for no reason whatsoever, because it was no concern of theirs, they were angry. So Nehemiah had to prepare the people to fight, even though they weren't going to war, even though they weren't picking any fights, he had to prepare the people that were working on the walls, the people that had come home, he had to prepare them for a fight. So we see, and what I want to talk about is that he had conflict in two separate arenas of the people or of his life. So what I want to do is as, as we talk about what was going on in Nehemiah's life as he had to bring the people of Jerusalem together, the Israelites together, we'll see that there were two different arenas where they had to fight, where they had conflict. And as we look at this, I want to compare it to our lives. Are you ready? Are you ready? Okay, so here we go. The first thing that we see is Nehemiah had an external fight. He had an external conflict. The eighth verse says, And they plotted together 
to come and to fight against Jerusalem. They didn't, but they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause what? Cause confusion to it. He says, and we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. If you pay attention to this, you can see that the purpose of the enemy in order to make threats, in order to to act like that he is going to come against you, is to not necessarily to fight us, but actually to confuse us. You see, conflict causes confusion. Even Even if the enemy is not necessarily going to war against Jerusalem, the threat, the constant threat, the constant threat of the enemy coming against them was causing or would cause confusion. I want to tell you something. One of the main things that the enemy wants to do in your life is to cause conflict within your home, within your life, in order to cause confusion. Because if he can get us fighting each other instead of fighting for God's cause, he can cause confusion about what we're about or what you're about in your family and you will never experience the purpose or the destiny that God has for your life and your family. Amen? That's what he wants to do. He wants you to fight in your home. He wants to fight against your husband or your wife. He wants you fighting constant conflict because anybody that's fighting all the time cannot build anything. He wants to cause confusion. What are we about? He wants to cause confusion and conflict within the church. He wants us uh, conflicted because it can confuse us because we won't build what God has caused us to build. It will distract us from our destiny and getting the work done that he has commissioned us to do, to build something. So how did they fight? It says here that we prayed and we stood guard. We prayed and we stood watch. Nehemiah brought people together and prayed. He says, so here's what I want to do. I want to set people a post. If you really think about it, that's, that's a lot of what fighting spiritually looks like. It's not so much that you got to go pick a fight with the enemy. And that's what he told them. Hey, listen, I don't want anybody leaving here and going and picking a fight with the Adonites or whoever, with, with Sambal. Don't go pick a fight. I just We're going to pray that God will protect us. But what we're going to do is we're going to stand guard. You know what that is? That is simply resisting the enemy. You don't necessarily have to, you don't necessarily have to go pick a fight and, and uh, you don't have to necessarily go and, 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 and just go out there and, and, and just always be battling the enemy as much as you need to be resisting. And praying and standing guard is the, one of the most significant things that you do because it is a resistance. It is a sign of resistance. When the enemies of the Israelites saw people standing guard and watching, they knew, okay, if we go against them, there's going to be a fight. James 4 and 7 says, to resist the devil and he will flee from you. It doesn't say go pick a fight with the enemy and he will flee from you. If you simply just resist him, resist him. What does that look like? Pray and stand guard, and it eliminates the work of the devil that causes confusion and division. Here's the deal. The enemy, as I said before, wants to have us always be conflicted to cause confusion because if we're always confused and conflicted, we don't build what God has called us to build, whether it be your home, whether it be the church. You see, if God's people unite and build, which that's what the enemy 
wants us to be conflicted, and that's why he wants us to be confused. He doesn't want us to unite and build because he knows the power of God's people. If we unite and build, a united church changes the world. A united church changes the world. A united church, uh, lives are saved. Lives are changed. People are changed. If we unite and build his church, generations of families grow up underneath us. Amen. How many of you can say that, that you want to position your kids in a better place than where you were positioned? We, we all feel like that, right? All of us, we, want, we think that way financially. We think that way. Here's what I want to do. I don't want my kids to have to struggle and suffer the way I did and, and, and scrape and, you know, for every dollar. and every, So we set them up. We talk to them. How many of you gave your kids some unsolicited advice this week? Did anybody but me? Yeah, I guarantee you, we're always, listen, listen, I, I learned from my mistakes. You're setting them up to be in a better position. I want to tell you something. When, when you build the kingdom of God, when you bring your kids to church or whatever, when you are an example to them, when you teach them about God, you are positioning them for a next generational world changer, for walking in victory. Amen? Well, if you're fighting at home, if you're confused or whatever, the enemy makes sure that that does not happen because he knows what a united church and a united home does. When, when a church is united, men and women grow up healthy and families are healthy. When a church is united and it builds, marriages are strong and they stay together. When, when a church is united and it builds, people experience eternal salvation and don't experience eternal damnation or eternal separation from God. God wants us building. God wants us growing. God wants us winning people to the kingdom. However, the enemy wants us to be conflicted and confused. So he comes to us externally. External conflict usually comes from people who want to confuse and divide our families and divide our church. Remember what we said last week. In the same way that God uses people to build us up, the devil will use people to tear us down. It's hard for us to imagine that. It's hard for us to imagine that, the, that, that somebody will get caught up in something that allows them to be used by the enemy, but the enemy will. So we have to stand against those who might try to divide us. Paul recognized this so much that he sent a letter to the church in Rome. He saw that this was happening, that, that people were teaching things in the exterior of the church and also within the church. So he sends this letter. Listen to Romans 16 and 17. Powerful, powerful passage. He says, watch out. Everybody say, watch out. Watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you have been taught. Stay away from them. Look at your neighbor and say, stay away from them. L listen to how powerful this is. I, I think that we give, we give this scripture a pass. A lot of times we say, well, you know, that's, that's brother so-and-so, or that's my, you know, that's, our, that's this person here, that's that person there, and that's just how they believe, and I don't want, you know, that's, that's just a part of our lives or whatever. But the Bible is very clear about anybody that would cause division in your home or would cause division in the church. In fact, it says, listen, it says, stay away from them. Such people are not serving Christ our Lord. They are serving their own personal interests. By smooth talk, what they say in glowing words, they deceive innocent people. Do you know that there are some people that claim to be Christians 
but are actually not serving him. They're serving their own interests. There's a lot of external teaching. There's a lot of teaching on social media. There's people that call themselves Christians. or you know, if, if, you know, There are people that are teaching some crazy things right now that are teaching that if you line it up, and this is why we got to know our Bibles. Did you hear me? This is why we got to be spending twice as much time in the Bible as social media posts. But that's a different message. We ain't talking about that, okay? There are people that are serving their own interests. And, and you know, I've, I've, I've seen people talk and, and talk about things, and I'm thinking, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's, you can back that up with the Word of God. Well, I had this dream, or, or you know, God gave me this prophecy, and God gave me this word, so this is the direction that we're going to be going. And you know what? I'll tell you something else. It just so happens that I got this book, and if the first ten people order that, it's going to back up everything that I say. You know what? There's a lot of people serving their own interests. And if we're not careful, it'll bring division. And it's very clear what Paul said to people that teach anything that is contrary to the word of God or cause division. I mean, I'm struggling with this, aren't I? Causing division within the church. It says, watch out for them and stay away from them. Well, Travis, that's too harsh. I know. And I didn't say it. Right? It's, it's a little bit harsh. It's a little bit strong. Well, you don't understand. You know, we love them. They're a part of our family. Are they causing division with your home, within your home? Are they causing confusion? Are they causing, we'll just, we'll move on from this. Here's, what, here's why, and this is the tough part. When it comes to a church, when a church is divided, innocent people. He says, he says it deceives innocent people. Who are innocent people? I have been a part of a church for 50 years, I'm 50, or am I 40 or something? I'm 52 years old. I can never remember not going to church. I don't remember not going to church. I've all, my, my grandfather was a pastor. My father was a pastor. I have been a pastor. I've been in some kind of ministry, leadership. I have seen every, every possible thing just about that you can see in church. I have seen it happen. And here's what happens. When people get divided within the church, who you lose are the new people, the people that hadn't been saved for a year. Don't miss that. This is why we got to stay united. This is why we, listen, you can't say anything that's going to rock my faith. If you've been living for God for 20 years, you know what I'm talking about. You can't see anything that, that, that's going to rock my faith. I don't care what happens. There's nothing that can happen in my life, whether it be externally, whether it be, there's nothing that can happen that would take, make me take a step back from serving God and say, I never want to be a part of the church anymore. But people who have given their lives to Christ for, say, a year, two years, they're still in this. They're trying to figure this out. And here's what I've seen. I've seen people bring division that causes, and you know, you know, they think these certain ways, that causes us to lose the babies in Christ. Are you with me? That is, that is why Apostle Paul said, you need to recognize people that are causing division. And listen, there's nobody in this house causing division. We're talking about people that go to other churches, right? All right? All right. Look at your neighbor and say, we got to stay united. I need to move on. So Nehemiah had a battle. He had a, an external conflict. The second thing that we see is he had not only a, an external conflict, he had an internal conflict. 
It says this, in Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. Look at that. It's just too much. The burden is too much. They're just way. I have made an incredible mess of my life. It's just too much. He says, by ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild it. And our enemies said, not only are people saying this, that it's too much. Our enemies are saying they will not know it or they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. In other words, there's threat of the people being discouraged because the work of rebuilding this wall is just too much. And then the enemy was spreading rumors, saying, here's what we're going to do. We're going to sneak up on them in the dark. People were getting discouraged. There was an inward conflict about an overbearing of the burden. Too much rubble, too much work. Sometimes when you're dealing with all the rubble that's going on, it can feel like it's too much and you can lose hope if you're not careful. You ever been in a situation? You ever been, uh, uh, maybe it's a part of your life, you wrecked something so bad, you're like, I don't feel like cleaning that up. You know what I'm saying? You ever, you ever, uh, you ever drop something or spill something in, the, in your house or in the kitchen and you act like you don't see it because you want your wife? I haven't done that. I've heard about people that do that. It's just too much. The laundry, laundry gets all piled up, and you're just like, we'll do that tomorrow. We'll, wait. we'll do that on Saturday. It's just too much. That's what was going on with Nehemiah and the people. The burden was just too much. I mean, man, you know, he said we could do this, and you know, two or three weeks, this is just too much. I didn't sign up for, for carrying rocks. I didn't sign up for all this. And I, we ain't even getting paid. It's just too much. Listen, sometimes the burden can feel like it's too much. And it's a, a, another reason that we sometimes lose hope in situations where the rubble is too much is that we feel like God has forgotten us. Sometimes we get really excited. We hear uh, Pastor Travis preach. We get excited. We go home on Monday. Man, we're just going to go to work on the rubble. And then about three days into it, we're like, I don't know if God's helping me. I don't know if God knows really the extreme of this situation. Check this out, Isaiah 49 and 14, decades before this ever took place, God spoke through the ancient prophet Isaiah and said this. Jerusalem says, it's like he answered this decades before this took place. The, the, Jerusalem says, the Lord has deserted us. The Lord has forgotten us. Never. Look at your neighbor and say, never. That's what he's saying. You know what they're saying? You know what they're going to be saying one of these days? You know what you might be saying one of these days? The Lord has forgotten about us. I'm in this alone. I'm in the mess of this family. I'm in the mess of this all alone. I thought God had my back, and he didn't. The Lord, Jerusalem says, the Lord has deserted us. The Lord has forgotten us. Here's what God says, never. And then he compares it. Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child that she has born? And he says, even if that were possible, I would not forget you. And listen to this beautiful passage. The 16th verse says, see, see, I have written you, I have written your name in the palms of my hands. One translation says this. I have engraved you within the palm of my hands. And some scholars believe that this was a, a, a prophetic verse of what it would be when Jesus would give his life and he would be nailed to a tree. I have engraved you 
Not only would I never forget you, but I have engraved you. I have put a tattoo, a scar on the palm of my hand to let you know that I will never forget you in all of your rubble. And after that, listen to this powerful verse. It says, before it ever happened, always in my mind is a picture of Jerusalem's walls and ruins. Always, I'm always thinking about your ruins. I'm always thinking about your rubble. The thing that you dreaded the most that has happened to you, the train wreck of your life, that is always before me. God had already spoken about this situation prophetically through Elijah. I wonder, has God already spoken to you about your situation that you're going through? Is it possible that the rubble and the thing that you're feeling that's making you lose hope, that you really believe that God has forgotten about you? I wonder if God has already spoken to you through his word that he has not. I believe that that verse is for somebody today. I don't think it was just for the people of Israel. Maybe that's something that you need to hear, that, 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 that your ruins and the rubble that you're going through is always before the Lord. He always sees it, and he will never forget you, and he has not deserted you. But he has engraved your name in the palm of his hand. Amen? I think somebody needs to hear that today. So the people not only were discouraged about the burden, but the people were also worried about the enemy's attack. They were worried about the enemy's attack, which, which another thing that they were doing is it's kind of like, why are we fighting over rubble? Why would, why would we... Why would we Risk our lives over the rubble. <laughs> We're hearing that the enemy is going to come up and attack us. It's, it's, it's just a bunch of rocks. It's just a bunch of bricks. Right? What, what in the world? Let them have it. Let them have the rubble. Let them have the, the, the rocks and the bricks. So, so Nehemiah brought them all together. Why would anybody fight over rubble? So he brought them all together and he says, so in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in the open places, I stationed people by their clans with their swords and their spears and their bows. And I looked and rose and said, he brought them all together and he says, listen, we're going to fight for this rubble. And the nobles, he told them and the officials and the rest of the people, he said, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. He said, I want you to remember something. First, remember that the Lord is with you and, and, and he's great and he's awesome. But I want you to remember this. Fight for your brothers. Fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, fight for your wives, and fight for your homes. In other words, it's not just about the rubble. In fact, he says, I want you to know something. The rubble is worth the rumble. Say that with me. The rubble is worth the rumble. You need to get ready for the rumble, amen? Because the rubble is worth the rumble because it's more than about rocks. It's more than about the wreckage of our lives. It's about the future of what God is building through that. Why? Because if we build it, if, if we fight for what's left, sometimes you need to do that. Sometimes you need to fight for what's left over. Sometimes all that you have left is, is the rubble and you say, well, I, we, you worry about what is left. You worry about everything that is left. You, you worry about what it once was. But you actually, what Nehemiah was saying is fight for what is left over. Why do you want to fight for what's left over? Sometimes you say, you know, my job, they've cut my hours. Well, fight for the hours that you have left. Make the most of the hours. Be the best employee that you can be with the hours. My business has dropped. I'm lo I've lost a lot of customers. Well, fight fiercely for the customers 
that you have left. Travis, you don't understand. My marriage is over. We are divorced. What is there to fight for? Fight for your kids, right? Your kids need you now more than ever. Fight for what is left, amen? Fight for what is left over. Instead of crying over someone who has left you, fight for those who have stayed with you, amen? Instead of worrying and fretting over who has walked away, fight for who has stayed in your life. Because here's what will happen when you fight for what is left, even if it's broken, even if it's run down, if you fight for what is left, if you fight for the rubble, because God will build something greater. God will build something more beautiful. God will build something incredible from the rubble. But you've got to fight for what's left. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, fight for what's left. So when they did this, when they came together, something incredible happened. Something highly unusual if you were to walk out there. It says, the work resumed. It says, from that day on, half of the servants worked construction and half held spears. Imagine seeing this. He stationed people to stand guard and stationed people to work. Half held spears, shields, bows, uh, uh, coats of mail, and the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that they labored on it. The, the work with, they, they'd work with one hand. Let me just show you. Can you imagine all of these people? Can you imagine all of these people? I don't know if you care. That would look funny, wouldn't it? Plus it hurts. If you can imagine, Nehemiah said, here's what I'm going to do. We're going to work, but we're going to carry our weapons just in case. You know, we're, God has called us and commissioned us to do this, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to, uh, I want you to carry and I want you to build the, build the wall, but I want you to carry your weapon. So if you can imagine... It would have been about somewhere between five and 10,000 people that were building. The elders, the people that offered wisdom, they were there to offer support and watch. They stood in the distance and kept watch. The people that were strong enough to build were building the wall. But at the same time, some of them carried swords in their right hand and would, would work with their left hand. And as I was reading about that, I thought, man, that is exactly what a church is. We're warrior builders. You know what I'm saying? Hey, I'm working on something here. I'm working on rubble. I'm working on my life. And when I get done working on my life, I'm going to help you work on your life. Hey, and if anybody steps up, get ready because I'm going to pop them. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not just watching out for me, but I'm watching out for my brother. Are you with me? That's, that's what we're doing. I'm going to watch out for people that cause division. I'm going to watch out for people that are hurting your family. I'm going to watch out for mine. Yeah, we ain't working this fast. But I'm telling you right now, we're going to be ready if the devil attacks us. You hear me? Why? Because, I don't know why I'm bringing these over here. I just wanted to. I like those bricks. The, um, why? Because the rubble is worth the rumble. Amen? I want to close with this. If you're building anything from rubble in your life, the enemy will threaten 
and the enemy will try to attack. Why? Because he wants to cause confusion through conflict because he wants you to stop where you are and let go of what you're building and be worried and be afraid. I want to tell you something. They never had to fight. Nehemiah and the people of Israel, they never had to fight. They just were ready. And as they stood watch and prayed, and that resistance was up, nobody came against them. Hey, we don't want a part of anybody that's ready to fight. But as long as you're not ready to fight, the enemy will always try to attack you. Resist the devil, the Bible says, and he'll flee from you. You don't even have to fight. Just resist him. So I want to encourage you today. Some of you might be going through something. You say, Travis, the rubble's too much. It's just too much. It looks like it, the wreckage is too much. I want to tell you something. The rubble is worth the rumble because God is going to build something beautiful from the rubble in your life. Amen? So, Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for speaking to us today, and I thank you for challenging us. Today's message was a little bit challenging. Whatever we're dealing with, whatever our wreckage is, whatever our rubble is, Lord, I pray. I pray, Lord, that if the fight or the conflict comes from external or internal, Lord, that we are prepared and that we resist the enemy in the name of Jesus. So speak to people today wherever we are in the name of Jesus. As your heads are bowed and you're doing an inventory check on your life, and if you're watching this online right now, I just want you to bow your head. And I want you to pray about whatever's happening. Maybe this message is for you. Maybe you're not having to deal with any wreckage of life, but there might be a lot of people here that are dealing with that. Travis, I'm going through a situation where the rubble is just too much and the burden is too great. Is it okay if I pray with you about your situation? We're going to pray and we're going to stand guard. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person right now that feels overwhelmed by the burden of the rubble. Is it at home? Is it at work? Is it life in general? Is it a relationship? Is it a marriage? Lord, I pray that you will remind us of who we are. Remind us, help us to look to your word and remember that you are with us, that you would never, you will never forget us. You're not just aware of who we are. You are aware of what we go through. You are aware of the ruins of our lives. And you restore as we rebuild. So we pray that for people today. In the name of Jesus. If you receive that, say amen. If you will continue to bow your heads, I want to pray one more prayer. If you're here and you don't know Jesus and he's not Lord and Savior of your life, if you're watching us online and that's your story, you don't know Jesus, he's not Lord and Savior of your life. Maybe you have never said, Jesus, be Lord and Savior of my life. Or at some point, you grew up and you walked away from the Lord and the good thing is, is even though we take a step away from God, he never leaves us. Whatever your story is, I would like to lead you in a prayer where you can return or give your life to Christ. With nobody looking around, before I pray, I'd like to know if I'm praying for anybody. If you can say, Travis, today I want to make things right with the Lord. 
Today, I really feel like God is speaking to me to get my right, to get my life right. With nobody looking around, just between you, me, and God. Listen, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to stand or anything like that. I just want to know if I'm praying for people. Real quickly, just say, Travis, if you'll pray, I'm going to pray that prayer with you. Quickly, just put your hand up and put it down. Anybody say that? I see your hand in the back. Anybody else? You can put it down. Anybody else? That's me, Travis. Okay. Okay. All right, we're going to pray. I don't know if I saw everybody's hand, but God saw your hand. He sees our heart. If you didn't raise your hand, say this prayer. Mean it with all your heart. If you're watching us online and you don't know Jesus, say this prayer with us. Give your life to Christ. Come home to the Lord. Let's all pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I am before you today, and I give you my life. And Jesus, I ask you to be Lord and Savior of my life and to forgive me for every sin. I believe in you, Jesus, that you died for me and rose from the dead. And from this moment on, my life is committed to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Come on, guys, let's celebrate. People have come home. Thank you, Lord.